This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I gave an introduction last week, and that's all that we really had time for. But as we move into the fall, I want to spend some time just trying to help you understand something that's very, very important uh, from a theological standpoint to the church today. And that is the whole matter of covenant theology. Uh, some refer to it as reformed theology, and I'm going to try to make a, an important distinction there. I think that the one uh, did spring out of the other, and uh, there's so much of church history that's got to be brought to bear about this as well. Uh, but I want to, again, just review from last week. I'm going to make some comments, and then we're going to begin to define some terms. Theology matters, yes or no? Yes. It sure does. Okay. God gave us his word to reveal himself and that we might know him so that we can return glory to him. In fact, I heard one preacher state this, and I agree with it. I've thought about making it a sign and hanging it someplace around here. Theology to doxology. You can't bring glory to God unless you understand who God is. Theology to doxology. We have serious issues in this world today and we have serious issues in the church because as Romans 1 tells us when they knew God they glorified him not as God one pastor friend of mine was confronted by uh, someone we read uh, Ron Smith's prayer letter tonight uh, homosexuals think that Christians hate them. We don't. We hate sin because God hates sin and we ought to hate whatever is going to ruin somebody's life. Sin is deadly. But there are all these terms that get thrown around today, right? Uh, homophobe and xenophobe and, and all these other uh, so on, okay? And uh, this preacher said, uh, and, and you've got to understand what he meant, he said, no, I'm a theophobe. I fear God. And that's why I hold to these things. Now, the world doesn't understand spiritual blindness. Uh, they're they're going to say whatever to intimidate the people of God. Anybody who dares to declare what God thinks in opposition to who they are or how they live. All right, so theology matters. We need to understand that just as through history, Satan has been the enemy of Israel. How many of you agree with that? All right, history tells us that, right? Satan has also been the enemy of theology. Hath God said, 
And if you study what Satan said to Eve in the garden, he didn't just outright deny theology. Listen, he amended it. And that's what he's still trying to do. It's subtle, but it's dangerous unless it completely agrees with the scripture. And so last time we talked about the fact that God has a plan for Israel. God has a plan for the church. They are different plans, but tracks that run parallel. Israel is the unfaithful wife of Jehovah. The church is the bride of Christ. The Lord has a plan for both. And we're going to see a little bit later, though, that there are those whose theology says God rejected Israel. He made the church spiritual Israel. And the focus is now just the church. That's not biblical. And so... Over time, because of the history of the church, because of Satan being at work, and then people not understanding what the scripture teaches, there have been systems of theology that sound good, there are good things that they say, but in the end, it is not helpful to the church. And so in every ministry I've been, uh, I have tried to make sure that God's people understand the difference between dispensational theology and covenant theology. We have had folks leave this church because they did not like the dispensational theology. Now, just hold on. I'll explain what that is, is as we move on in the series. I think of one family didn't like our dispensational theology, so they left and went across town to a church that has dispensational theology. I have not figured that one out. But, but there's this reaction, okay? Uh, so much of Reformed theology, covenant theology, it appeals to the intellect. If you have arrived spiritually, mentally, this is the way you think. I'm so thankful that God's word is so simple that God could show it to me. He could reveal it to me. So over the past few decades, there's been a resurgence of covenant theology that has negatively impacted evangelical Christianity. The effects have had a deadening effect on lives and churches. Probably the most noticeable part of that is people who at one time had a burden to reach the lost in the world for Christ. Well, their theology has taken them past the need to do that anymore. You and I would identify that as a serious problem because the Lord said to us, go and make disciples. Not to my system of theology, but disciples of Jesus Christ. Win them to the Savior. Teach them all things that he has commanded. So I gave some examples last time. A young man in our church in Pennsylvania who had gone to a Bible college, one that you would know if I stated it, 
who came to me and told me that he wasn't quite sure he believed what we believe now as a church. And he said some things, and as I asked him questions, again, he admitted, he, I, I said to him, you really don't know what you believe, do you? And he had to admit, no, I, I, I don't, I'm still searching. But he was convinced he didn't believe what our church did. Wasn't sure what he believed, but okay. And I mentioned that today uh, he's an ag agnostic, professing agnostic. Short time after that incident, a missionary that was sent out of our church told me that in his own Bible study, he had come across some verses that didn't seem to fit with a dispensational scheme, as he called it, uh, that, that he had been taught in Bible college that we held to. And uh, so as he studied the matter further, read other authors, he felt that he was coming to the historical Reformed Baptist position, as he put it especially relating to eschatology, that, that when it comes to the doctrine of end times, end things, you can't really know what's, what God's going to do. He's just going to come back, wrap it all up, and it's done. And what I said to him was, I don't believe God's given us all the detail in the scripture just so that we could just kind of put it in a blender and whatever comes out. I, I don't think that's what God intended. And so he went that direction. I know of churches in the areas where I've pastored, where a new pastor came in who was reformed in his theology. Uh, preaching turned into intellectualism, and the focus of the church became not reaching others, but it was all internal. Evangelism and altar calls stopped and the favorite subject became talking about the elect. It's interesting that after this introduction last week, I had two members contact me, our own members here. You won't know who these folks are, but they said, Pastor, thank you, thank you. Both of them came out of Presbyterian backgrounds and said that's exactly what, that's all we knew. And they were grateful uh, for uh, this teaching. So what we're talking about is not a minor problem. You need to understand why. I want to raise the standard of God's truth and ask you to rally underneath that standard. So let's define some terms tonight. It's necessary for us to define the terminology before we can move on. By doing so, we'll be able to distinguish between two systems of biblical theology. And the one system that I do not agree with does have a lot of biblical theology. And yet I think some things have had, they would accuse those who are dispensationalists of putting everything into a, a neat uh, order, a systematic order, and, and we would have to say to them, and you've done the same thing, only your system's not so neat. I believe that with dispensationalism, when we talk about that, we're talking about words that you'll see in, in Scripture, administration, Okay, there are other words that talk about the fact that in, in history, 
God dealt with people differently based upon the amount of revelation that they had. All right? And so as God gave more revelation, people had a greater understanding of God, what he expected, and because of more revelation from the Lord, they were more accountable for what they had. All right, so let's, let's begin with dispensational theology uh, tonight, also known as dispensationalism. This theology teaches God has distinguishably different economies in government or in governing the affairs of the world. Okay? Different economies that are distinguishable in how he governs the affairs of the world. Now that, that's a statement that Charles Ryrie made a number of years ago when he wrote Dispensationalism Today. But he's right. God responded to men differently in past dispensations of time than he does today. So you're in Acts 17. Would you look at verse 30? Here's what it says. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to what? Repent. Now again, the times of this ignorance, God winked at it. Winked at doesn't mean it's okay. Okay. No. It means that God in his mercy overlooked some things. You've got to be careful as you study portions of the Old Testament that you don't superimpose the New Testament on that. Now, don't misunderstand me. You can compare spiritual things with spiritual things. But you shouldn't think that Noah understood what Ephesians taught or that Abraham had a full understanding of Romans, right? Okay, so there were things that they did, and you look at that and go, wow. And it, it looks like God thought that was okay. Stop. No, he didn't. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. But he is merciful, and as he was revealing himself and giving the scriptures, the more the scripture was given, the more people were accountable. And so now, Acts 17, with what has been revealed about God, what has been preached, he's commanding all men everywhere to repent, and you can look at the context, and to turn to Christ. The Messiah has come. Adam Clark said this, God, who has an indisputable right to demand the worship of all his creatures, has mercifully had great forbearance, for those whose acts of idolatry, which have disgraced the world and debased men, but now, as he had, uh, has condescended to give a revelation of himself, he gave us Christ. He commands, as the sovereign, all men everywhere over every part of his dominion to repent, and the whole focus is, and to turn to the one who has come to be our Savior. And so when we talk about God responding in different 
times, economies, dispensations to people based on the revelation that they have from him. Dispensational theology can be broken down into three key parts. First of all, a distinction is made between Israel and the church. Through, though Israel had a part in the history of the church, right? God told Abraham, through you all nations of the earth will be blessed. Right? Through you will come Messiah. Through Messiah will come the church. His body. All right? But God has a distinct plan for Israel. He didn't say, well, okay, Israel got us to the church and now they don't matter anymore. Jesus is whose Messiah? Israel's Messiah. He's our Savior. He's their Messiah. Okay? Distinct plan for both. Israel is the unfaithful wife of Jehovah. The church is the bride of Christ. Many Reformed theologians see Israel in the New Testament as a spiritual reference to the church. Now, let me just pause for a moment and give you some church history to help explain some things. Again, we are a result of our history our church history. I'm not going to get into it now, but I don't refer to myself as a Protestant. Okay, I'm a separatist Baptist. That's another whole matter, but here's, here's the point. Over time, theology in the church continued to corrupt, partly because of how Early church fathers were approaching the scriptures. By the second and third centuries, you had church leaders like Eregion and I could name others, who instead of just taking what the apostles had written in scripture, they began to allegorize it. Now, my personal opinion is they knew how God spoke through the apostles, inspired scripture. It's not that they were, uh, they, they believed that there was new revelation. The canon of scripture was closed, but here's what was happening. They thought, well, if we're spiritual, we read between the lines and we bring new meaning to the text. Instead of just looking at the con what the context was doing uh, in a literal hermeneutic, okay, and interpreting the scripture, they began to force on the scripture hidden spiritual meaning. So they would take parables that had numbers in them and, and, and things that happened in the Old Testament and they're coming up with all kinds of things. All right, so when the, when the scripture is being diluted and corrupted by that interpretation, everything becomes spiritualized. And so based on context, rather than looking at something that was said to Israel as being the literal Israel, or there are times when Israel is used figuratively, they couldn't make the distinction, everything became figurative. And so by the time you have the Roman Catholic Church, okay, Catholic means worldwide, 
Now we believe that the Lord is saving people all over the world, so there is a worldwide church. But Augustine, and by the way, if you read Augustine's testimony, I've read it, it's 70 pages. I didn't read it by choice, it was a class assignment, okay, I'm just saying, okay, don't be too impressed. When, when you read that, he was genuinely saved. His life was transformed, but already at that point, the theologians around him, he started to allegorize things too. He is considered the father of Roman Catholicism. By the way, one of his main disciples was a guy by the name of John Calvin. We'll say more about that later. But if the Lord rejected Israel and the church's spiritual Israel, here's what happens. You no longer have pastors who are pastoring like the Apostle Paul. Did Paul and Peter walk around with vestments and a special clothing? For No, no. They were disciples. But if the church is now spiritual Israel, we start wearing vestments like the Old Testament priests because we're spiritual Israel. Instead of there being a pulpit where people would proclaim the word of God, pulpits off to the side, now you have an altar in the front, a literal altar, and you have a sacrifice every Sunday. Hmm. Now, you don't necessarily practice circumcision, but if the church is spiritual Israel, you do something different to that's like circumcision that identifies children into the faith community. You sprinkle them. Infant baptism. Do you see it anywhere in the Bible? Wait a minute. They see it in the Bible. And so what is not doctrine becomes doctrine because it becomes tradition. Now, there's a deviance off of this. It's called dominion theology. When God said to Israel, go into this land that I have given you and you can destroy, take armies, destroy, conquer the land. If the church is spiritual Israel, Dominion Theology says you can send armies back into the Holy Land to reclaim it. Any of you ever heard of the Crusades? That wasn't just a bunch of kings that thought, well, you know, we're bored, let's go fight. They were listening to the church saying, go take back Israel. It's not the Jews, it's the churches. I don't know if you're aware of this, but today, even today, the whole north shore of the Sea of Galilee is owned by the Vatican. How'd that happen? Dominion theology. Where'd that take, how'd that take place? The theology. All right, and so... When we talk about dispensationalism, we're breaking away from this thinking so that when, when you had 
priests who started getting converted because they started reading the Bible again. After a thousand years of spiritual darkness, we call the dark ages, but there was a church in charge. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. It doesn't bring you into darkness, but there was darkness. Are you following me? Okay. And so when these priests started getting converted, all they knew was that previous doctrine. And so they're having to search the scriptures for themselves. Are there any conservative theologians that they're reading? No, they're reading each other. And Augustine, those who allegorize. And it was out of that, then listen carefully, that you have these, this system of covenant theology. Later, those who return to a right hermeneutic, a right way of, ter of interpreting the scripture, literally, historically, grammatically, not paying any attention to the footnotes and the traditions of the church, but started taking God at his word as they started to study the word of God, now another system of theology began to develop. And as they studied, they realized, you know, in different times, God deals with people differently. And that's what's referenced again in Acts chapter 17, verse 30. So dispensational theology makes a distinction between Israel and the church. Number two, a distinction between Israel and the church is the result of a literal system of interpretation. A system of Bible interpretation that follows plain meaning and does not allegorize or spiritualize passages that speak of real events and people. How do we know when the Lord is using imagery? He'll tell you. The kingdom of heaven is like. Ah, okay. When we studied through Revelation together, we see imagery because it tells us John saw things that were like. He, could, he had a hard time describing literally what he's seeing. It's like this. But then there are other times in Revelation, he's, he doesn't say it's like this, it is this. Beasts coming out of the Euphrates that have heads like, like men and wings, they fly. Well, if you get on the internet, that's, a, that's describing Apache helicopters. No, it's not. No, it's not. Those are demonic creatures. All right. Covenant theology spiritualizes the obvious and strains sometimes at what is clear. Number three, a dispensationalist declares that the underlying purpose of God's work is to receive glory from all people. And I'm closing with this. All the events of the created world are designed to manifest the glory of God. And then what God does in the scriptures all points to the fact that there was a first Adam, he failed. And when the first Adam failed, there was a protevangelium 
Genesis chapter 3, where the Lord declares he's going to provide a Savior. First announcement of a Savior. And what is that? Satan, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And how is the Savior described? The seed of the woman, virgin birth. And it happened. If I asked you this question tonight, who shed the first blood in the Bible? What would you say? Okay, I was hoping somebody would say that. It was Cain. No, it wasn't. God slew animals and clothed Adam and Eve after the fall. Why did he do it? Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Initially then, God shed blood to cover them, cover their sin, and to literally cover them. To remind them as now they're wearing clothing, you need my covering. What happens when men and women women turn their back on God and go their own way? Watch. No, don't watch. They unclothe themselves. That's what happens. That's what paganism is. All right. So the error of covenant theologians is that they combine all the many facets of divine purpose in the one objective of the fulfillment of the covenant of grace. In other words, their focus is the salvation of man. This is the reductive error, says John Wolvert. The use of one aspect of the whole as determining the, uh, the main element. Why did God send Christ? To provide salvation? We would all say yes. But ultimately, why? So that through salvation, man could be restored to his original purpose, which was what? To worship God. To fellowship with him. Now, Covenant theologians do have it right in their catechisms, and we can read these catechisms. What's, what's the purpose of man? To love God and enjoy him forever. All right. There's a lot of truth in that, but ultimately it's to restore the creation back to a place where they worship God. And what about those who will not worship God? The scripture tells us how many knees are ultimately going to bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord? How many? All of them. So you have two comings. Christ coming to provide salvation so that those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. Does he offer it to everyone or just the elect? Everyone who are the elect. But he offers it to everyone. Okay. And what about those who will reject salvation? Their knees will bow too. And everything will be brought under the authority of Christ. And so that's dispensational theology. A little bit later, we're going to talk about its impact on eschatology. Okay, I've given you this brief description Uh, Its evidences are most clearly seen in matters of eschatology. I believe in a pre-tribulational rapture based on the doctrine of imminence. The work of the restrainer, 2 Thessalonians 2, the distinction between the rapture and the second coming of Christ to the earth. 
And then there is a literal millennial kingdom that follows all that. We are not going to bring in the kingdom. You and I are not living during the millennial right now. I'm so thankful this is not the millennium. Okay, no, no. We'll know King Jesus will literally reign in Jerusalem. But these are the economies at different periods of time. And God gives us all that scripture to help us be prepared for what is coming. And I'm so thankful I can preach to you the whole counsel of God. And it's not, it's not fuzzy. Yes, there are passages in the scripture where it comes to prophecy. We don't know exactly where something fits. But that doesn't mean that you take everything else and you just set it aside because there's a question here. And I would close by just saying this. Remember, the things of God are a mystery. Paul said, behold, I show you a mystery. It's all a mystery except that God has chosen to give us his revelation to reveal the mysteries. But there are some things that are going to remain a mystery to keep us trusting the Lord and to remind us that he is so far greater than us. The problem with a lot of Reformed theology and the intellectual pride that comes with it, we have figured out God. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. And there are some things that are going to remain a mystery because God wants to continue to remind us just how great he is and how small we are. And that we need God. Would you stand with me? Thank you for your good attention, the extra time tonight. Father, would you help me as I continue to clear your truth to be clear? Lord, help me not to raise questions. Uh, but Lord, to be able to answer, to be a help. And uh, God, that we would not look at anyone else uh, with any uh, arrogance disdain uh, Lord we all can be easily deceived but father uh, thank you for your word that helps us to know the times that helps us know the end times and help us to be students of your word as we take the gospel the good news to those who still are without Christ we pray these things now in Jesus name Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.